Hello, hello everyone. This is your host, Akil Jabbar, and welcome back to another episode of SaaS District. On today's episode, we'll be talking about how to perfect the onboarding process for improving the customer experience and reducing churn. Today, we have our special guest, Jeff Epstein, joining us. Jeff is an entrepreneur, team builder, hustler, and investor. He is the founder of Onboard.io, which is a SaaS made specifically for customer implementation to automate, optimize, and create the perfect journey for every customer and enabling companies to manage the perfect onboarding process. Jeff was previously the founder of Ambassador, where he ran it for about nine years, which is a referral tracking attribution and management platform for businesses and was acquired by Westcorp in late 2018. He is a lifelong entrepreneur, a 2011 NYC Techstar graduate, and is described as one of those rare founders you only read about in books because his unmatchable drive to succeed. So thank you for joining us, Jeff. Uh, glad you're here with us today. Thanks, Akil. Yeah, great to, to be here. I appreciate uh, you, you having me on. Yeah, no worries. So um, prior to launching Onboard, before getting into that, I want to hear a little bit about your story about Ambassador. I know you you built that yourself and you grew it over nine years, and then it was acquired by Westcorp in 2018. Can you share your experience of uh, exiting that business and looking back now, do you feel it was the right decision to sell at that time? Yeah, it was It was a really long journey. Um, I was a solo founder for sure. I definitely had a lot of help along the way. But uh, back in 2010, when I started Ambassador, 2009, actually, um, you know, it was there weren't there wasn't a lot of content out there about startups. And so I learned a lot of things and, and did a lot of things the wrong way. There were no obviously podcasts didn't even exist. I don't think back then. Um, so much more you can learn online, which is which is a lot better. Um, but the, it, you know, so so that journey was was interesting. Learned a lot, and and for for you know, I think for me and and for, from a business perspective, the timing I think worked out really well. Um, we were at an inflection point in the company where we really needed to make a bi- a big move, and it was you know there were some options on the table, whether it was take a big round of financing or you know find a strategic partner, and we we went down and and sort of parallel paths has worked on both of those things at the same time. And we found that, um, you know, partnering with Wes and, uh, was a really great opportunity for, for both, you know, the employees and the shareholders. And that's something you don't always find. And so lots of people have grown and learned a ton over the past couple of years, uh, working at Wes, which is now in Toronto and obviously ambassador is still, um, doing well. And, 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 and thankfully like every single person like had a, had a, had a great job and a great opportunity and, and a lot of incentives to, to perform well. So that was um, exciting for, for, for us. And I, I would do it again. It, you know, it doesn't go the way you always always think, you know, and, and you know, you learn, you, again, like everything else, you learn by seeing it happen and by doing it. Um, and so I'd have a couple of different questions maybe next time. But generally speaking, you know, we've been happy with how things have gone and and, uh, and happy with the opportunity that everyone, everyone has gotten as well. So curious, just uh, during that that phase of when you were deciding to make that big change, were you guys actively reaching out and saying, uh, talking to different buyers and seeing who 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 would p- propose something interesting for you guys, or did they come to you and say, okay, this seems pretty good at the time? We we talked to a lot. Uh, we talked to you know dozens of potential buyers, and so it's 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 quite an uh, quite a process that doesn't get talked about too often. But you know, we ended up hiring a banker because we felt like that was the best way to maximize. Um, the potential folks to, to we could work with. Um, and there were multiple paths. I mean, some were private equity companies that would 
take a minority investment. You know, other options were majority invest investments and, and then full acquisition. So there were a lot of options. Um, some of them were relationships that we had, but most were companies we never heard of. I mean, to be honest, we had never heard of West before. Um, some of the companies are obviously the big, the big tech companies that you have heard of. So it, it, it was a, it was an ordeal. I certainly recommend going through a process like that. Um, because there's just a whole world of things you're not thinking about. And so for me, those were, um, those were things that were new and we, we wouldn't have the resources to do it ourselves. Makes sense. So you would suggest that, you know, based on the situation you were at, uh, hiring a banker obviously helped you get the trans a good transaction on the table. Yeah. I mean, even just like the, just from a pure negotiation perspective as well. I mean, it's, Hmm. it's a very emotional process and it's really hard to remove yourself. It's just like, have, like buying a house, right? Like it's, it's, it's really hard to, to sell your own house, you know, maybe because uh, you're really emotionally tied to it and there's a lot of things that you don't want to hear, but maybe true or, or vice yeah. versa. Right. Um, and so that, that for us was, it was nice that I didn't have to, to directly interface with the buyers. I mean, I did in a lot of ways, but not in terms of like peer negotiation, which was nice. Makes sense. Um, cool. So thanks for sharing that. Kind of diving into kind of the onboarding process, which we want to talk about today. Um, so I think from what you're understanding, there's directly a, there's a direct impact on user churn, which I believe you say is the number one factor of our product. If the customer onboarding experience isn't great, um, what are the most common areas that you see where SaaS owners could drastically improve their onboarding process? And how do we start to look at that internally to start improving it? Yeah, and and, for, and first thing I'd like to say is it's one of the things that we learned at Ambassador, and we're taking that and, and applying it to onboard is that on the onboarding function of most companies tends to be both the unsung heroes of, of of the organization, but also I think really underutilized and and unfortunately neglected in a lot of cases. And companies need to be more proactive and spend more time thinking about the onboarding process internally for their own teams but even more importantly is how does it affect the customer experience because the customer experience has already started uh probably through the sales process but if not it's definitely starting as soon as they log into your app for the first time and so that really is where you need to, to, be, to be proactive and and it starts with planning and having processes and it's surprising how little process many companies have even big companies um and so for us thinking about you know, what are, if you, you know, articles all over the internet that say really poor, poor onboarding experience is one of the, you know, the primary number one or number two reason for, for customer churn. And if you are a SaaS business relying on subscriptions, you need to keep your customers. Uh, everything you do uh, from a business perspective relies on customers staying with you, right? Like, because otherwise the, the whole dynamics of your business have to change. So um, I think the number one thing to think about uh, from an onboarding perspective is build process uh, and, and, and invest in your onboarding practices from an organizational perspective, um, which usually means having people that do it full time. Uh, that's the first sort of the first step I think that we did when we got to about 20 people in Ambassador. We had someone who their whole job was to onboard customers. And, and I think that's really important. Okay. Um, so there's, so you mentioned there's a salesperson, it starts from sales and then it all, all the way until activation of when they actually use your product. Um, who would you say is the best to own the onboarding experience process and continue to improve it? So in your case, you had one person full-time, 
what is their role? Is that is that the CEO? Is that the CEO and SDR? Is that a customer success person? Who, who are you looking to hire or put that onto? Yeah, so what we did, again, at Ambassador was the onboarding department lived under the success team. So the success department really had two different functions. One was onboarding and one was account management. And we globally called that customer success. So I would imagine in most companies that are 10 to 50 or 100 people are going to have an onboarding department with several people. You know, we had four or five onboarding coaches is what we called them that exclusively just help companies get launched, right? So it was taking them from point A, which is contract signed or sign up to point B, which is go live. Uh, and so th those are the those are the types of um, that's where that uh, again I feel pretty strongly that that department should live in the customer success uh, world. Mm -hmm. But all the, ultimately the onboarding folks they 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 float and they work with the sales team right. They have to understand what's coming down the pipeline and they also work very closely with their success counterparts, the account managers who are really interfacing with the clients on a day to day basis. But it's typically, that typically happens after they're go they get going, right? After they get implemented, after all the nitty-gritty details get ironed out. So mm -hmm. that's where Onboard has this really unique function of living right in the middle of, of, of two pretty material processes. They're the, the ones that sort of hold everything together. They're the glue. Got it. And then when you're talking about metrics, um, so now looking to hire, like, say, a full-time customer success to own that or under the customer success team, you're bringing on a full-time person. How do you measure and justify the ROI on a customer success as an investment of your budget, especially where SaaS businesses models that are easy to replace, um, and maybe you know, how, what are some key metrics that you would look at to, to track, and then you know, tie that back to to ROI. Sure, and there's there's a couple things to think about um, in terms of of the value of onboarding, and and I would say first is of course the 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 actual lessening or mitigation of churn. So if if for example you have only one person doing onboarding and you have a cohort and you see your churn or you, and then you have two or three people doing onboarding and you see your churn, is there a difference, right? What is the Delta? And that Delta is real, is, is real dollars. Uh, that's the most obvious. And remember that those, that churn sort of cascades infinitely, right? So for every dollar you lose, you're never getting that dollar back in the future. Whereas every dollar you keep, it, it keeps stacking up and growing on itself. So with subscriptions, if you can lower your churn by a half a percentage point, it could be tens of thousands, if not millions of dollars a year for, for, for many sort of mid-sized businesses. Um, so that's the most important metric, but, but there are more. So I think the other, some other obvious ones are, um, you know, many companies don't get paid until the customer launches. So time to launch is a KPI literally is how quickly do you get paid, which is also really important from a cash flow perspective. Um, mm -hmm. And, and, and then alternatively, if they don't launch, maybe you don't get paid. So uh, there is actually a very specific direct tie to revenue there. So all of those are KPIs. Days to launch is something that we thought about. So how quickly can we get customers to using the product the way it's intended to? That's really important. And there's also the customer satisfaction. I mean, again, they're working with, there's some sort of agreement in place where they're ideally going to continue working with you down the road. How do they feel about this part of your business? How do they feel about this part of your process? That should be trending up as you dedicate more people to doing it well. And so those are some of the KPIs that we would think about uh, for sure. Uh, how many companies are also moving forward versus like stalled or something like that, very mm -hmm. like a macro uh, metric. 
Would you use NPS uh, score as well in there? Would you build that into the process? Yeah, I mean, I, we, I mean, NPS makes sense. I mean, it's, again, it doesn't have to be NPS, so to speak. I think some mm. sort of customer satisfaction, whatever, whatever your baseline. I mean, again, it's more about trending up and to the right from a baseline perspective, not necessarily the type of metric. You know, I, I think mm. uh, if it stays the launch, obviously you want it to be less days. If it's if it's NPS, you want NPS to go up. Uh, mm. But yeah, I think any of those those work. You know, getting feedback is obviously very important uh, part of the process as well. Cool. Um, so we talked to a lot of entrepreneurs that make the choice to provide maybe a lot more customization in their uh, onboarding experience, which is obviously, you know, less scalable, would say, or there's, it just takes a lot more time to onboard versus more of like a turnkey solution because um, they feel that maybe they provide more value to their clients by, by spending more time with them. But from a business perspective, which do you believe um, is the right way? Should you be on personalizing that onboarding experience? Yeah. Yes, you should. And, and, and here's the reason why there, there are some, there are some, you know, applications that you can use that are really, really simple or really lightweight and you can get up and running quickly. Right. And that's like a more general global, uh, easy to, easy to onboard yourself, like maybe like zoom, right? Like everyone can just kind of onboard themselves, but most business software tends to have a pretty, um, complex implementation that involves multiple people doing multiple things. And in those cases, you should customize it as much as possible, right? And customization doesn't mean doing it from scratch because that's not efficient. Uh, customization in our world, in my opinion, is in what we're doing in Onboard is creating a template that can be customized for the use case quickly, right? So one of the things we're doing is creating customized checklists in a most automated way because that ambassador, when we did this, even though we had templates and we knew the requirements, it still took a couple hours to sort of pick and choose the things that needed to be done. And so mm. with onboard, that'll happen in a matter of seconds, right? Or a matter of minutes. Um, and those are the types of savings that over the course of dozens of customers saves you days of work, right? And just is, makes you more efficient, allows you to do more as an onboarding coach or an implementation coach and ultimately as to scale your team more. So I, I, I certainly think customization is important. Uh, and the balance is how do you automate custom customized processes, right? And that's, I think mm -hmm. that's what you, you can use software for to make that a lot better than doing it yourself. And if you already have the process and maybe you have that checklist already internally, is there any tips or suggestions or any additions you, you'd think that people should add on that checklist to make the onboarding experience, let's say, more get that wow factor when for the client? Yeah, I mean, it, so it comes down to a few things. Uh, one is, is certainly being, again, being proactive. Uh, providing that custom experience quickly is important. Uh, something that we found is that dealing with customers through email uh, creates a lot of challenges. If you're managing 10 or 15 customers' implementation uh, and then someone's saying, I don't get this, that's really hard to understand. What, what's the context for what they're asking? So, you know, thinking about how do you contextualize questions and comments? How do you make the process smooth instead of going back and forth multiple times, right? Um, so I think those are some of the things that we think about in terms of being more proactive and creating a better experience uh, from the beginning. It, it's, it's a little bit different for every company based on what actually needs to get done. Uh, but I think ultimately putting everything in one place and, and allowing them to see all the things that need to be done, all the tasks, and assignments and, and the due dates, that allows for everyone to be on the same page, which is 
ultimately actually a lot harder than it seems, you know, I mean, it's hard to do it internally, let alone between two organizations um, with lots of different rules and, 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 and experiences and cultures. So that's something that you really, you want to, you know, streamline as much as possible. Makes sense. Is there any, uh, can you share any, let's say the top SaaS companies that you think have the best onboarding experience, say maybe the top three or five for our audience to check out and learn from and why you think, why you like them? Yeah. So, I mean, so I, I certainly think Ambassador um, has some of the best experiences. We, again, we surveyed all of our clients and we work with some of the biggest companies uh, in the world and we surveyed them and said, how does this compare to any other software that you've implemented? Uh, and we gave them a bunch of options ranging, ranging from this is the best experience we've ever had to this is the worst we've ever had. And I think it was like 95% of the time it was, this is one of the best or this is the best onboarding experience. And so the way that we did that was we really worked backwards and created this very personalized, obviously t touch, but it was through processes and through a lot of personalization and of course, attention to detail. Um, and that involved, you know, it, we weren't using software and that was sort of one of the big problems. I mean, we used a couple, um, you know, third party solutions, but the reason why we came up with onboard was because we didn't feel like there was any software made for us. And so that's really the big difference is you can buy a project management software, you can buy a chat software or a messaging software, what have you, but nothing really encompasses the entire onboarding experience the way that it should be done in our opinion. And so that's, that's what onboard, you know, .io is doing. And so we're, we're pretty pumped to, to, to do that. So it's hard for me to say any other companies, to be honest. I mean, <laughs> we, we generally thought onboarding was pretty, was pretty rough. Um, and even for us, and I, I'm trying to think of, like companies that we onboarded, but most of them I wouldn't, I wouldn't recommend. I mean, we, you know, we always talked about in the sales process, um, lots of companies ask and they should ask the salespeople, mm -hmm. what is an onboarding process? What does the onboarding process look like? Mm -hmm. And if the sales rep, can the sales rep actually explain that process in like a minute or two minutes? And you'd mm -hmm. be surprised by how often they just kicked it and said, oh yeah, it's like pretty easy or it's only going to take a couple of weeks, but they couldn't explain the process. I can almost guarantee you that it will take several weeks or months or, or month, you know, you know, so that's something that we found was quite, quite apparent was we always asked that question and it was surprising how few sales reps could answer it in a meaningful way, which usually means that they're sort of trying to, you know, do giving you the runaround a little bit, unfortunately. And so that was where we really, you know, thought about that and, um, you know, wanted to make a change. So it does actually start from the salesperson as well, right? Because you don't want them over promising, undering, delivering, because that does affect everybody in the end, right? So I think you also you have to start from that end as well, right? So, yeah, exactly. And it's an organizational, you know, it's really an organizational and cultural uh, in, in, intent, right? A principle, almost as we call it, or like a value, right? So you you have to intentionally think about the end user when you're doing onboard. And if you don't, if you if you just say, hey, these are the steps and we don't care if it's an engineer or a marketer or a lawyer who are doing these, uh, mm -hmm. those people read things very differently and they interact with things differently. So you really have to be intentional about crafting an experience that works for the person who's intended to do it. Um, and so for us, you know, it was it was multiple people. It was marketers, but it was engineers, but it was also compliance because we were dealing with big enterprise companies. And so like the language and the context needed to be appropriate for those parties. And, you know, I think we learned how to do that in starting in the sales process and asking who else is involved. And that helped us create a better experience during the onboarding process. We knew those things. 
Um, and, you know, in, in many cases that helped us do deliver a much better experience. But again, it was still really manual for us. And, and, and the goal was, Hey, how do we make this better? How do we, you know, lower churn and, you know, basically generate more revenue. So those are things that we were always thinking about. Makes sense. So uh, for those in our audience, if you're looking to check it out, that's getambassador.com. Um, so check out their onboarding experience. Uh, I'm, I'm actually going to check it out myself too, see what the what you guys have done. Um, for the, for those who have customer support, you know, I think that's what most people think about uh, when they're they're onboarding. You know, maybe some people and they have clients coming in at at the beginning stages. Um, for you, what's the difference between customer support and customer experience? And when do you need to consider having one or the other? Like, do you start off if you're building your company having customer success from day one, or does it start with support and then? Uh, there's a certain threshold or point you want to hit and you say, okay, we need to bring on a, a customer success person. Yeah. And so the way that I think about customer support is customer support in, in, in my view is, is more of like a ticketing, uh, you know, more rote answers, right? Like, so you're, you're solving an important part. You're helping your customer be more successful, but mostly you're not, uh, getting too deep in the process, you're really just answering basic questions and, and it's really a ticketing system, right? Um, where, where, where I see the difference between customer support and, you know, what we called customer success, but really a more proactive approach is really the difference between being, you know, proactive instead of taking in questions when they come, right? So like a customer support, again, typically reactive. Companies are throwing questions at you. Customers are throwing questions at you and you answer them when you can, right? And you close the ticket, et cetera. Um, but customer, customer success is really a proactive function where you're proactively making the customer more successful. And for us, there's two parts to that. One is getting them live, right? Because they won't be successful until they use it. And then once they're using it, how do they use it better? And that for us was account management. And those are people that are proactively checking in saying, how are things going? What can we do better? What, what are you getting stuck on? Or what, what are the, you know, how are you thinking about things differently? Or what are your new organizational goals? So we had those two functions that sat together, that worked together underneath the, you know, same success team, but there were two very different roles. You know, we had the implementation folks who were helping and they were a little bit more technical. And then you have the account managers who are kind of building the relationships more, still answering questions but not as meant, not only just tickets, right? They're more consultative. They're saying, we've seen these types of strategies work across several companies, some of them like you. Maybe if you try this, this, and this, you'll, you know, you'll see more success. Or maybe if you don't do this, it may be easier, save you more time, things like that. So that's really the big difference for us is the difference between proactive and reactive and really uh, sort of taking the bull by the horns and, and creating a department where you're, you know, helping define successful outcomes opposed to just taking in what comes at you. Mm. And then the same thing, are you, are you doing that from, from day one? Would you, would you look to have both or is there a certain stage where I, I, I can see it, you know, customer success, I think probably is good to start from the beginning and have that proactive approach and built into your business from day one. But I mean, other, most people I think look to start with customer support, right? Yeah, I, I would say like the way that I, the way that we're doing things and even so we're we're doing this at onboard right now, right? So mm -hmm. when you're 10 people, you tend to have a lot of people doing a lot of things, right? Like you're a generalist. Um, you have to solve lots of problems in lots of departments. And so, you know, at onboard, it will be myself and the, some of the co-founders doing success support onboarding. All, all, we'll do all those things. Mm -hmm. As you start growing and around like 20 people is where you start specializing in my experience. 
So when you get to about 20 people, you stop doing four things and you do one thing, try to do one thing really well. Um, and so I think, you know, you start off just having a generalist support person and maybe, you know, general salespeople and they, they do the demos and they do the outreach and they do, you know, everything in between and success. Maybe they do the customer calls. They also do the tickets and everything like that. So, you know, when you, when you get to about 20 folks, if you're, if you're growing your business and, you know, maybe you have more, uh, you know, you, or you have a more complicated uh, onboarding process with like some technical implementations and it's, it's a, you know, there, there might need to be some more complex uh, conversations that take place. That's where you start thinking about adding, you know, an onboarding coach specifically or a success uh, team, m- multiple people, right? So for us, you know, at Ambassador, uh, the contract, the average contract value was, you know, in, in, it was, it was in the, it was five figures, right? The average. So it was a significant amount of money. So, um, you know, we knew that in order to, de- to charge that those prices, we needed to deliver a sort of a white glove experience, right? Or a concierge service, so to speak. So mm-hmm. those are the types of things where, um, you, you know, we, we had to, we, we charge more, but we also had to put in more people, uh, and more FaceTime, so to speak in front of them. So, uh, mm-hmm. again, I think generally speaking, if you're smaller, you'll just have support, uh, at generalist, but as you get bigger or as you charge a lot more, and I think either one of those things, you'll probably bifurcate your team and have more specialists doing both of those things separately. And just to add to that, so your ACV was a lot higher. You said, you know, five figures. If it's, say, you know, you're a $99 a month solution um, and your ACV, you know, whatever, is $1,000, $2,000, do you still, would you still look at that? Would you still consider having that or is it not worth it? I think, I think you would, uh, you could, I think you would still have people dedicated to onboarding. I think the question is, and this is where, I think software comes into play is can you be that much more efficient? You know, so for us, we said, and I'm making this up, but it's, but it's not that far off is we might say, Hey, every onboarding coach needs to manage a million dollars of ARR. Um, mm. so it, you know, that, that may still be the case with the smaller ACV. You just may, that may, that may be you're managing 500 companies or a thousand companies instead of 10, um, or 15. So I think that's where you need to be more efficient. Uh, but ultimately, what I've found is you will generally be more efficient if you specialize. So at mm. some point as an organization, you probably want people to just do one thing and to do it really well. And so, you know, that's the case where, again, in our, in our, you know, experience, we, that's where we bought software to make people better at, and, and faster. Right. So again, that's what we're helping to do at onboard is we're providing that software to help you manage those things faster. Mm, got it. And do you have a tech stack that you recommend of tools uh, that our audience can start using to implement for improving their own customer success or onboarding experience or maybe what you guys use at Ambassador? Yeah. So the number one, uh, so for onboarding specifically, the best, the best tech stack is going to be onboard. So definitely uh, if you're interested in, we're, you know, we're just getting launched in the next month or two. So if you're interested, certainly feel free to sign up. We're doing a beta test. We're looking for sort of a wide range of types of companies. And, and so if people are willing to commit to, to giving us good feedback and working with us directly, you'll get onboarding from the owners and founders of Onboard. So you'll, you'll get a, a super concierge experience at, at a price that won't be the price in a year from now. Um, but generally speaking, I mean, things like Google Docs, uh, you know, I mean, we are big fans of Gmail. So like asynchronous communication is, is important. Again, I think we're going to, we're going to be handling that in Onboard. Um, you know, we we use companies like Basecamp and 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 Monday as as things 
but again, I think that the, the pain points for us was those did, you know, 70% of what we needed, but they didn't do a hundred percent and they weren't made for us and they weren't native experiences. And I think those are the challenges longer term is that you don't want things to live in another system. And the first experience that a new customer has is to go to another company's product that they're not the best experience. So with onboard again, we're going to make it feel like it's inside of the app that you're buying. Uh, it'll just be managed and, and run through through onboard and just made it that much easier. Nice. So everything's all in one. Did you guys have all your SOPs and in, in Google Docs or were they in, in your project management tools? How did your how was it done previously? It, it was it was mixed, and we also did a lot of like slide. And like you know, we had uh, we had su- several decks, and we sent a bunch of resources. You know, we had a we had a it was really a lots of uh, of of content and resources spread amongst several different apps, and 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 that was part of the pain, right? For us, was every and then every coach did it a little bit differently, which worked for them. But then it was hard to see what was the most efficient way be- because we didn't have any visibility into what people were doing necessarily unless we asked them. Um, and you also lose a lot of visibility. Ours was tied pretty deeply into Salesforce as well, which is great. But if many folks out there listening probably know, Salesforce is also really clunky and really not made for success coaches. Um, sure. And so it wasn't where they really wanted to live every day, but we sort of required them to add data in there for for them. So it was, a, it was yeah, I mean, the best, best way to explain it was it was, a lot of information in a lot of places instead of it being in one place. Cool. Uh, so you're saying our audience can expect Onboard to launch, say, in the next month or so, or do you guys have a date yet to when they can start using it? We don't have a date yet. We're starting with a private beta. And so what that means is it'll be it'll still be closed to the public, but we will be working directly with the teams and the folks who are using Onboard to one, provide uh, sort of the best experience to get them up and running quickly, but more importantly, to help continue to build the roadmap and functionality to match the the needs of, of our clients. So, you know, it, it's a great time to get deeply connected to a product that should solve some really big problems for them. So especially companies that are really in, investing and thinking about onboarding, this is one opportunity for them to really... Um, you know, to really get a lot of really, I mean, my co-founders have been consulting on this and charging uh, lots and lots of money, like, like you know, tens of thousands a month, right, to, to consult. Mm-hmm. So they're getting this consulting for free, basically, and they're getting software with it. So it's a pretty good deal. Um, we're going to be spending a lot of time with these folks to make sure that it works exactly as we expect it to. Wow. Awesome. So guys, if you're listening, if, if you guys are looking to improve your customer success experience, now is the time getting it for, for almost almost nothing. Um, final question, where can our audience get in touch with you, Jeff, and uh, learn more about what you're working on or learn more about Onboard? Sure. Uh, best places are Twitter. It's, uh, you know, at Jeff underscore Epstein. LinkedIn as well. Same name, Jeff Epstein, of course. Uh, Onboard is uh, also on all the social platforms. Typically, it's Onboard IO without a, without a com- uh, you know, no, no uh, period or anything. So, uh, feel free to reach out and and of course you can find our website onboard.io and, and, and message us there definitely um, you know love to love to chat and learn about your experiences and, and try to you know help make this a a easier onboarding experience for everybody that's that's really the goal for us awesome all right thank you so much for your time jeff i'm glad that you were able to join us today very grateful for that yeah thanks so much i appreciate it, it was great all right take care Thank you all for listening in to today's episode. 
Don't forget to join us for another episode where we interview top leaders and experts in the business and SaaS industry. If you enjoyed this episode, I ask that you please give us a five-star review on iTunes. That would be really, really appreciated. Otherwise, if you have any feedback, suggestions, or improvements for this podcast, please feel free to send it directly to me on our website at horizoncapital.com. Or you can just tweet me at Akil Jabbar. Thanks again and hope to see you guys on the next episode.